few years back, I bought this. This is a 64-ounce Hydro Flask. This is rather large, and uh, the reason I bought this size is I remember looking up, how much water are you supposed to drink every day? And uh, the, the average, you know, recommended, and some will tell you otherwise, but it's usually around 64 ounces. And I thought, I'm not great at that, uh, but if I could set myself a goal visually, that may, might help me, you know, actually drink that much water. And so I remember buying this and thinking, this is going to be awesome. And I quickly learned two things if you uh, use one of these. Number one, you will use the restroom a lot. Uh, if you are fully hydrated, you got to plan your day accordingly because you have a lot of interruptions. Number two, what I didn't realize is you will get made fun of often. Uh, when you carry this bad boy around, it just invites comments from people. They just have to comment on, on what you're doing. And yet, to me, it was just a simple way to, to meet this goal. And I remember there would be days that, you know, I would, I'd fill it up in the morning. I'd be so excited. And at some point in the evening, I'd finish it, and it felt like a good day. And, and some days, I'd finish it in the afternoon, and I'd go for, you know, round two, and I'd see how far I could get on, on the second round. But after a while of using this, what I realized is it's exhausting, you know why? Because it starts over every day. And so even if you had a killer day and you felt so good that you drank all the water you're supposed to drink that day, you woke up the next day and I saw this thing staring at me in the sink. And it's like, I don't know if I've got it in me for another day of this. I just don't know if I can do this again. And, and there's just something about it. And so today we're going to talk about water. And water is a, a key ingredient, and, and we experience it on so many different levels, and we're going to see uh, what we find in the scriptures on it as well. And, and so I want to welcome you, uh, wherever you are experiencing this with us, whether you are one of our campuses at Sandy or Vancouver or Happy Valley, or you are watching or listening online or via a podcast, we're so grateful uh, that you're a part of this with us and that you are in this series with us. We're, we're going through a grounded series. We're looking at all of creation, and each week we're exploring uh, where is God? That's the question that has, you know, connected all of these weeks of this series. Where is God? How do we find God in the different elements? Now, if you've got your journals, I want to encourage you to get those out. And like we've been doing, we're going to go through, and, and we're in week six now of our journals, and we're working our way through a variety of aspects of creation that reveal Jesus to us. And, and so today, we're going to go to week six. I encourage you to get that out. Write notes in it. Uh, write down things that you can use in your own time of study, and you can use in your life group as well. And as we get ready to talk about water today, I want to read a poem. Uh, this is called Upon the Fish in the Water by John Bunyan. This will get our imaginations going. It says, the water is the fish's element. Take her from thence, none can her death prevent. And some have said, who have transgressors been, as good not be as to be kept from sin. The water is the fish's element. Leave her but there, and she is well content. So is he who in the path of life doth plod. Take all, says he, let me but have my God. The water is the fish's element. Her sportings there to her are excellent. So is God's service unto holy men. They are not in their element till then. Let's pray together. Well, God, as we explore the water, may we see you, may we experience you in new ways. Would you open our eyes as we search the scriptures to find you? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, if you would, get your Bibles out. We're going to be in John chapter 4. And, uh, we were in John last week, and we're going to see a different passage in John today. But John chapter 4 is uh, a great story we're going to look at with Jesus today. And uh, it's one of my favorites. And so I encourage you, if you've got a physical Bible, to go there. If you've got a Bible app on a phone, I encourage you to get that out as well. We'd love for you to read this for yourself uh, like we do every single week and encourage you to be a part of that. also want to encourage you, like we've been doing each week of the series, to so join us on Slido. Uh, this is the way that you can ask questions uh, on the message. And uh, I, I just have really enjoyed going through these and, and addressing your guys' questions and allows us to go all different roads as we figure out how does this hit you and, and what kind of questions do you have. And so I encourage you to, to go on there and uh, you can ask your own questions. You can vote for the questions that you want to see us address and then join us midweek on our Facebook as we get to uh, the answers of those questions. Now, as we talk about water today, water is really amazing, and it's such a key part of life. Now, last week with me, I talked about how the biblical account explains that we are actually made out of dirt, that God took dirt and breathed life into it. Now, what's interesting, when you're born, you may not know this, but you're, you're made up of 80% water. And so you could almost argue, yeah, God says you're made of dirt, but kind of you're made of water because uh, the majority of what you are as a baby is water. And, and a little bit of that goes down. As you get to an adult, you're about 60% water, which still is, is a little hard for me to understand how we're that much water, but this is something so crucial to us. Now, we have different reactions to water. Some people loathe water, and maybe uh, it's your least favorite drink. Maybe you love water. You know, maybe uh, you, you can't get enough of it. Uh, I was reading that two-thirds of Americans fear large bodies of water, which I find amazing that even as adults, that many of us were a little bit intimidated if there's too much water around and, and we don't know what to do with it. And I, I don't think I'm intimidated by that or scared by that, but I will tell you, uh, if you get me in dark water, I don't really love it. You know, it's like, not that I'm, I would say, a phobia per se, but uh, all of a sudden my imagination starts going and you, you start wondering, like, was that something that just, like, swam by my leg? And, and you start having these questions. There's something weird. There's some power that water has, and, and we experience this in different ways. So I was thinking about water. I thought of uh, one of the craziest quotes that I've ever heard about water actually comes from Bruce Lee. And this is kind of a famous quote, but I want to show you a brief clip where he explains water, and I can't think of a cooler way to set up our theme today. Check this out. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? It's like, okay, I'm in. What do I do? I want to be water. That sounds amazing. Uh, and, and water is a, is a dominant theme that you find throughout Scripture. Now, again, uh, as you guys have seen through a lot of weeks of the series, uh, the hard part of a series like this is, is narrowing down to a passage or saying, hey, let's pick a couple ideas. Because there's so much you can talk about uh, when it comes to what the Bible says about a lot of these different topics. Now, I want to give you just a couple examples. You find water throughout the Old Testament in a variety of ways. And, and you often have water connected with God as the source of life and as the source of water. In Jeremiah chapter 2, it says this, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now, this is a great image because it shows the number of things, that God is the spring of living water. So the water that we really need, God wants us to see, you know, that comes from God, doesn't come from us. And what we often do is we dig our own cisterns. We dig our own methods of getting water and keeping water. And, and these are 
broken cisterns that cannot hold water. That if you really want to experience water, you're going to find that in God. You're not going to find it on your own. But as we see uh, through, you know, all throughout Scripture, as you see, people have often tried to take this out of the hands of God and put it back into our hands. Psalm chapter 63 says it like this. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Which again is a great image of of how we have a desire for God, how we can thirst for God. And and some of the biblical writers connect this image to the image of water. And we're going to see this in our passage today. Now if you're with me in John chapter 4, I want to begin reading, and we'll begin reading in verse 5. And I want to show you something that Jesus did around water. And and at first it almost seems like, like water is on the periphery of this story. And yet this story is all going to kick into gear around water. And we're going to see what Jesus does with water. In John chapter 4, verse 5. It says, So Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, before we go on, uh, the timing of this scene tells us a lot already. You know that uh, it's noon. So this woman has chosen to go and draw water at the hottest part of the day. Is that the ideal time to draw water? No, it's not. She also has come by herself, which is not, this is a very collective culture. You would not normally do something like this by yourself. And what you realize early on in in the details that John gives us is that this is a woman living in shame. Now, we don't live in a honor-shame culture, but this is an honor and shame culture. If you've ever you know, studied other cultures, you may be aware of that. But you have to understand their value system was very different than ours. In a culture like this, uh, you live and die on your honor level. This woman has got none of it. She is a, a person of shame. Uh, she, she does not have honor. And so the fact that she's coming at the hottest part of the day, she's coming by herself, shows you she is not welcome with everyone else who goes and gets water. She is a, a social outcast. And this is the person that Jesus discovers when he goes to to find water. Now, normally, uh, in a setting like this, this conversation would never happen for at least three reasons. Uh, They are mentioned here. Number one, Jews would have avoided contact with Samaritans. There's a lot of racial prejudice there. Uh, They would not have had a conversation. They would have not uh, engaged in anything. They would have been like off limits to one another. We are not going to associate. Second, Jewish men avoided speaking with women, even their own wives when it was in public. Now again, in our culture, we just don't really understand that, but this is a taboo to them. If you were a Jewish man, you would not publicly have a conversation with a woman, even if it was your own wife, let alone some other woman by a well. And third, Jesus would have been a rabbi. And rabbis did not have spiritual conversations uh, with you know, everyday folk, the, the people that worked with their hands and had normal jobs. Rabbis would have spiritual conversations with their students or with other rabbis or people who were in that arena. So for Jesus to have this spiritual conversation with this woman doesn't fit on a variety of reasons. 
Now, I was thinking that we, we can understand a little bit of this today. We, we understand when you have those social dynamics that make things a little bit weird. This would be like Red Sox fans and Yankee fans, right? Like they don't mix well. And in my analogy, yes, Jesus is a Yankee fan. But Jesus would go and he would talk to a Red Sox fan, right? He would do that. And yet you would know there would be an inherent tension there. And if you're a baseball fan and you see two people talking and one's wearing a Yankee hat, one's wearing a Red Sox hat, without knowing what they're talking about, you already know there's some tension built into that scene. This is kind of like that, but way more extreme than, than our sports rivalries. Or another example, uh, when you, you have these unspoken social cues that you just know there's things you do, there's things you don't do. Uh, I was thinking about there are rules in an elevator. Are you guys aware of this? Uh, as an introvert, let me explain to you elevator rules, okay? When you step into an elevator, rule number one, you don't make eye contact with anybody. I, 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 I'm amazed, you know, I'll be, I'll be looking forward and someone will stand in front of me and look at me. Whoa, we're in an elevator. We don't do that. We, you, you, you stand in there and you look forward. It doesn't matter what you're looking at. If you're looking at a wall or a number, you just look forward. Rule number two in an elevator, you don't talk to anyone, let alone look at them, but you really don't talk to them. You don't strike up small talk in an elevator. There is nothing worse to me as an introvert than when someone tries to small talk me in an elevator. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know what to say to you right now. I don't know how to do this. There are elevator rules, people, all right? So there are all these things that we have, and we could look at a variety of social cues that, that maybe are unspoken, but you kind of know this is the way we do that. What you have to realize is these are not subtle social cues that Jesus is breaking here. He is breaking a number of social cues that they would have said, time out, this is not okay. What you are doing is not appropriate. This would have raised a bunch of flags with everyone. It also shows us volumes about Jesus, about the kind of person Jesus is and how Jesus operates. And so for him to talk to this woman, this is a conversation that should not be happening. Now with that in mind, let's see what they talk about. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, what's interesting here is you're paying attention. You realize they're speaking on different levels in this conversation. She is physically talking about water. Hey, how are you gonna draw this? You don't have a bucket. How, the well is deep. How are you get this water? He is not talking about physical water. He's talking about a different kind of water. He's trying to explain to her who he is and what he is offering her. But in the midst of that conversation, notice a reality. Jesus is thirsty. Now, again, that might not seem important to you, but I think it's helpful for us to understand and appreciate the humanity of Jesus. He's thirsty. Jesus didn't walk around and like, I'm immune from thirst. I don't experience thirst. He's tired, he's hot, and he's thirsty. 
And so while he's going to offer this woman something much greater, he is legitimately asking her for a drink, which I just find so interesting. And what you realize here is that Jesus uses something common to show what is uncommon about him. And Jesus does this a lot. Jesus will often meet you over something very common. You might even say trivial. And yet in the connection of that, all of a sudden you might start to see that there is something greater at work. There's something greater. There's a bigger conversation happening. He's helping this woman to find God where she least expects it, when she least expects it. Now, this is a theme that we have been covering throughout this entire series of finding God in creation, of realizing that you might think God is far away. You might think God is out there somewhere, but the reality is God is with you. God is very present with you. And you begin to see reminders of this. And Jesus is using water in a simple, normal conversation about water, even though the people aren't normal. This conversation is a common conversation about two people who are thirsty. Now, you, you may be going through this series with us and you're going, maybe this seems a little bit weird to you. Like, should we be talking about more spiritual things than water and dirt and, you know, and, and fire and sweat? And like, shouldn't we be spending our time on more spiritual matters? And, and maybe as we're talking about the elements, it, it seems a little bit too basic. I, I was thinking about something that C.S. Lewis once said. He says, there is no good trying to be more spiritual than God. I love that image. God never meant man to be a purely spiritual creature. That is why he uses material things like bread and wine to put the new life into us. He's referencing communion. We may think this rather crude and unspiritual, but God does not. He invented eating. He likes matter. He invented it. I love this, that so often we might go, I think this should be different. Jesus should do this differently. The reality is Jesus is using something so common to explain to this woman who he is. Now again, you might think Jesus should go to her and go, let me, let me explain to you the, 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 the theology of God. Let me unpack. He doesn't do that. He talks to her about water. And she thinks she's physically talking about water and she's gonna start realizing oh, you're not physically talking about water, you're talking about something much greater, but you are using a connection with water to make your point. Now, if you keep reading, you have uh, the whole conversation that they have together and she begins to understand a little bit of who Jesus is. I want you to jump down to verse 27 and we're gonna jump into a little bit uh, of the next part of their conversation and what happens. This is where it gets really good. John 4, 27. Just then, his disciples came back. Because remember, they're gone, they're getting food. It's just Jesus alone with this woman having a totally inappropriate conversation. Notice this next sentence. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. Oh, so good. <laughs> they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? Do not miss what is happening here. You see, Jesus empowered women in ways that made everyone else uncomfortable. And if you read stories like this and you miss that part, you are missing the significance of what Jesus is doing. He should not be talking to this woman. And they come back and they're going, whoa, time out. Jesus, what are you doing? But the greatest part, none of them have the nerve to say it to him. 
You tell him. I'm not telling him. You tell him. No, you t-. You can imagine them all like just going, I cannot believe this is happening. See, Jesus is radically empowering this woman. He is giving this woman value that no one else in this culture would give her this kind of value. And notice the reaction of those closest to him. I can't believe he's talking to her. You know, sadly, many of the church have followed the disciples take on this rather than Jesus. We've often been the ones that go, yeah, let's, let's keep women out. Let's, let's, you know, let's have that same question today. And what you've got to realize is Jesus was the one bridging that gap. Jesus was the one making the church feel uncomfortable. This is how it works. And if we want to follow in his footsteps today, do not miss a giant detail like that. Why are you talking to this woman? That's what Jesus does. And then you keep reading in verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village. That's a, a, a weird sentence. She left her water that she came to the well for and she ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. She goes to the well to get water and leaves her water behind. This is what happens when you truly experience Jesus. You might come to Jesus for one thing. Hey, I I need something from you. I need you to answer a prayer for me. And when you truly experience Jesus the way this woman does, you leave the water behind and you go, whoa, I thought this is what I was interested in. I thought this is what I needed. And I have realized now I was looking for something so much greater. And so the only reason why this woman is here is because she's getting water and she leaves the water behind. So what's so amazing with this story is that water reveals our thirst for something else. The reason I love the image of water it's because it reveals a, 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 a connection inside of us to God, something that is yearning for God. And we may not know the right words to even communicate what it is, but we have something inside of us that there is a thirst. And it's not just a thirst for what we can see, for, for what we think it might be. There is a thirst that is greater. And Jesus is helping this woman realize that your thirst for water is revealing your thirst for something else. You are looking for so much more than just water today. You came here because you thought you were thirsty for water. And she's walking away realizing there's something much greater at work here. There's something much greater that I'm looking for. And here's what you have to realize. When the woman came uh, that day to to the, the well, she was not expecting to have her life change. She was not expecting to meet God. She was not even expecting to have a spiritual conversation with anyone. She was expecting to go and get a bucket of water, like she did every day, by herself, in the heat of the day, and go right back to life as she knew it. You see, she was not expecting, I think maybe today might be the day I'm going to experience God. Maybe today God will meet me here. She's not looking for God in this place. And oftentimes, we, we are experiencing God, and we don't realize that we're experiencing God, because we're not looking for God. We're not expecting God to show up. And it's a little bit comical how long it takes this woman to understand who she's talking to. 
how long it takes her to realize, wait a minute, you're not just a normal Jewish guy looking for water. There's something different about you because she's not looking for anything else. It reminds me, when I've uh, traveled to, to Israel and Palestine, I've been there a number of times, and, and there's uh, one of the sites, Capernaum, that you can go to, and you can uh, see a lot of the, you know, the ancient uh, sites that we find in, in Scripture here. And, and there's one sign, that it's a, it's a modern-day sign that you find uh, when you go there. And uh, every time I go there, I have to take a picture of the sign because it, it just makes me laugh. But I think it speaks to something about, uh, you know, the way we, we, we view a lot of this. And so when you go into one of these sites, before you get there, there's a sign prepping you on what to expect. And the sign is trying to communicate that you're going into a holy place. Okay, now you can understand, oh, yeah, it's, it's a holy place. This is where Jesus walked, you know, and all that. Uh, but to do that, they have to give you some practical details. Here's what the sign says. Holy place. No dogs cigarettes, guns, and short clothing. I have always loved this sign. I don't know why. It just always draws me in. Now, let's begin here. No dogs. Evidently, the Pacific Northwest is not designed for holy places because y'all are crazy about your dogs, you know? But evidently, you know, I would have said cats, no cats, but evidently it's dogs are the issue, not cats. So no dogs, no cigarettes, no guns. I'm not sure what you're doing with a gun at, at this site, but no short clothing. What defines short clothing? Like how, how short are we talking, you know? It's like, don't even get near it. Don't think about it. No short clothing. And I love this because this is the formula somebody came up with. This is the formula of what makes a holy place. Right, if you eliminate these things, and we might laugh at this picture today, but here's what I believe, all of us have our own version of this. We have our own version of what makes a holy place. You gotta remove this, and you gotta remove that, and you gotta remove this, and you gotta remove that. And some of that creeps into church. Hey, when we're at church, I expect that you better dress like this, or not dress like this, or you better say this, or not say this. And when we start to have this formula of, this is what a holy place looks like. And we might go, our, 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 you know, our pictures might be different, our examples might be different, but we're essentially saying the same thing. And yet, what I want you to notice is that Jesus wasn't in a holy place. He was at a water well with a woman of shame. And so you go, oh yeah, that's, that's not exactly where you'd expect to find Jesus. When Jesus is meeting this woman at the well, these ingredients didn't work. It wasn't like all the criteria was met before they had this conversation. No, Jesus is hanging out at the local water well with the wrong type of person. But what you realize is that Jesus doesn't live in a holy place. He makes places holy. And that is a radical difference. You see, we often try and visit God. Where is God? Where are all the parameters met where it's holy enough and then I can find him? And if you came into one of our buildings today because you thought you were entering a holy place, I've got news for you. The building is not a holy place. The people you're around certainly aren't holy people, right? You are coming into a holy place because Jesus is making it holy as we gather together in his name. It is a radical difference. And when you begin to understand this, you begin to realize how a water well with the wrong kind of woman could become a holy place, could become a holy moment where God is going to do something radical. See, one of the reasons why I think we often don't see God, we often don't know where is God, 
It's because we think back, you know, deep down, and we don't ever say this, but we think deep down, maybe sin is contagious. And if sin is contagious, I don't want to get too close to, to people who have it. And, and, and maybe it's catching, you know, maybe if they've got this sin and I, I hang out with them, then I might get this sin. And in an honor-shame culture, there is a little bit of this because if someone has shame and you hang out with them, that shame may come on you. You may get a little bit of that shame too. And so when the disciples show up and Jesus is having this conversation, you've got to realize they're going, Jesus, do you not realize what you're doing here? This looks bad on you. You should not be having this conversation. She is a woman of ill repute. She is an outcast in this culture. She is shamed. Why would you talk to her in public? And what you forget is that Jesus is the one turning everything around. Jesus is the one upsetting it. Most of us would never have had a conversation with this woman. We we would have walked by this woman and nothing would have ever changed, but not Jesus. Jesus is the one who goes, you know what? I'm gonna show you something else. You see, I would say it like this. Sin isn't contagious, but Jesus is. You don't need to be afraid of sin. Sin is not catching. You know what is catching? An experience with Jesus. You wanna know what people go, whoa, whoa, what was that? It's not sin, it's Jesus. When you meet Jesus like that, all of a sudden you're like, I can't keep that to myself. It's spreading, it's everywhere. I have to go you know, tell other people what I have. And and this is what causes us to boldly live in the world. And church, if we lived like this, where we were afraid of catching someone else's sin, because we knew that Jesus is the only thing that's contagious in this equation, we would so boldly live out our faith. We'd so boldly go into the world and go, we're going to show you something that you so desperately need. And it might look like talking to a woman at a well, the wrong kind of person. You go, I This doesn't make any sense culturally. Is there anybody that God has been nudging you to go and and reach out to that that you should go and have a conversation with and yet it's the wrong kind of person? You know, people that go, oh, why would you talk to them? Not, Not them. Don't talk to them. Don't have a conversation with them. And maybe God's the one nudging you going, yeah, yeah, go do it. Go, go, Go show them how contagious Jesus really is. I wanna show you one last passage here. If you jump down to, Verse 39, you get to the conclusion of this story. John 4, 39 says, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. I want you to notice the role reversal for this woman. At the beginning of the story, before she meets Jesus, she is filled with shame. She is the social outcast. Uh, She is the odd woman out from this culture. After she meets Jesus, she's the catalyst for the majority of her village to experience transformation. The person of shame has become a person of honor in one encounter with Jesus. And in that culture, for a woman of shame to be the catalyst for the rest of the village to experience life change would not happen. It doesn't make any sense in this culture unless 
Jesus is radically messing everything up. Unless Jesus is saying, look, I don't play by these rules anymore. And, and all of a sudden, he has so valued this woman that her life will forever be different as a result. And even in this passage, you have an incredible method of evangelism. Notice the way it begins. They all came to, to see Jesus because of what this woman said about him. But then notice what they say. Not just because of what you said, but then because we have heard him ourselves. This is how it works. It starts with us saying, let me show you how contagious Jesus is. Let me show you what Jesus has done for me. You have got to meet him. And that's how it begins. But that's not enough. Because the second part is, once someone goes, okay, I'm interested, tell me more. Then you bring them to Jesus and you let Jesus show himself to them. And when they experience Jesus, they go, oh, now I've seen it for myself. It started with what you had told me. Now I have experienced Jesus for myself. This is the process of bringing people to God. This is the process of you being the catalyst of transformation in the lives of the people around you. When you tell them what Jesus has done to you and you bring them to Jesus. And the same thing keeps happening today. So what do we do with this story? How do we walk away with the reality of this in our minds? Here, I'll say two things. Number one, remember this. You will feel thirsty every day of your life. Every day of your life. You can drink as many of these as you want today. Drink two of them. And tomorrow, you will be thirsty again. Every single day. And as you realize that you have a built-in thirst every single day, you know the other thing to realize? Most of us will be around water in some form every single day of our life. What an incredible reminder for us to look to see Jesus. Not just in the holy places, but to remember, we have a built-in reminder that our water reveals our thirst for something else, that Jesus is all around us. I wanna close with a, a story of something that happened years ago. I uh, took one of our vehicles in for regular maintenance uh, to a dealership. And as I was waiting for our, our vehicle to get worked on, um, the, the owner of the, the entire dealership came out and introduced himself to me. And evidently he went to our church. And uh, I'd never met him before. And so I, you know, I'm standing up and I'm meeting him and, and he brings out a number of his team and said, hey, a bunch of us, you know, we all go to the church and we, all, we just wanted to meet you. And so I had this great conversation with them. And, and again, I'm just sitting there you know, at a table waiting for my, my vehicle and we all meet and we talk and I hear a little bit about their story and then they walk back up to their offices and I don't think anything else about it. I, I go and I sit back down. Well, I, I'm sitting there and this salesman comes walking up to me and he says, I'm sorry, I gotta ask. I said, gotta ask what? And he said, what just happened? <laughs> I said, what do you mean? And he goes, I have never seen the owner and that group of executives ever come down here and talk to someone. And then he said this line, I'll never forget this line. He said, you must have done something either really right or really wrong. <laughs> and he said, I gotta know which one it is. He's like, I'm sorry for asking, I've gotta know. You either did something really right or really wrong. But you know what I've realized as I've thought about that sentence? That's how we approach God. You wanna see God? You gotta do something really right or really wrong. You know what the reality is? You don't. The reality is that Jesus is all around us. Jesus is gonna take common things like your thirst for water and he's gonna point you to something greater. 
And so you can spend all of your life going around looking for holy places. You can try to be the kind of person that has all the ingredients right for God to come and meet you. Or you can realize that Jesus is already there. And he's inviting you to connect your thirst to something greater. He's inviting you to be the kind of person that leads other people to Jesus and allows Jesus to introduce himself to them and their life will forever be different. See, water reveals our thirst for something else. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we unpack this, as we process what this looks like for us, would you help us to realize that you are the one making places holy and you are doing it all around us and you're meeting us at the local water well. You're you're meeting us in conversations that shouldn't happen culturally. You're you're breaking norms. You're you're, you're pushing our, our boundaries of what we expect could happen. And yet you're inviting us to experience a life change over something as simple as water. And and so, God, our prayer would be that you would show us the invitation in front of us, that you are so present with us, that when we have a thirst for something like water, that it would be a reminder for us that not only are you with us in that moment, but you have wired us for something more. And that when we find you, we will find what we're looking for. May we not only quench our thirst in you, but may we be the type of people that are bringing others to experience you. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.